Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of Modern Pathology. Featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to today's episode of ModPath Chat. Joining me today is Dr. David Chapel from Brigham and Women Hospital in Boston. Uh, David is, uh, has just completed uh, a fellowship in GYM pathology there and now pursuing a funded research postdoctoral fellowship uh, with Dr. Crum. Uh, he is here today to discuss his multi-institutional study on peritoneal mesothelioma. Uh, the study has recently been accepted in Modern Pass. Thank you, David, for accepting my invitation. Thank you, Dr. Netto. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, it is intentional. We would like some uh, rising stars in the field to uh, to be part of this podcast, and uh, so I'm uh, I'm very happy uh, to give uh, to to share this opportunity with you, so we can discuss this really great paper. I know you you got uh, last year you got an award for a paper in uh, Modern Past, the Stephen Vogel Award. So uh, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe you'll be the first uh, recipient. Of two consecutive awards. It's a very good study, and I wanted us to discuss it. So uh, let's start with the uh, background uh, about uh, the topic, specifically peritoneal mesothelioma and the scoring. So if you can uh, educate our audience a little bit about that. Absolutely. So um, peritoneal mesothelioma is quite a rare disease, certainly not something that we see every day, uh, particularly in general surgical pathology practice. Uh, nonetheless, it, it um, is seen with approximately 300 or 400 new cases in the U.S. Uh, every year. And it's a disease that's evolved substantially in the last three decades or so. Um, before that, peritoneal mesothelioma had quite a dismal prognosis with a median survival of, of really less than a year 
after diagnosis. Um, but in the past three decades, due in large part to the introduction of uh, new therapies, uh, more aggressive cytoreduction surgery, and hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy, outcomes have improved substantially. Um, so the rarity of the tumor means that there haven't been a huge number of studies done on the, on the uh, entity. And simultaneously, sort of the evolving clinical features of peritoneal mesothelioma made it ripe for an in-depth look. Um, tying that in, I'll say that in my residency at the University of Chicago, we had a large referral practice for peritoneal mesothelioma management, which gave us access to a, a substantial number of cases and really put us in a good opportunity to look at peritoneal meso together with the collaboration from multiple institutions through the International Mesothelioma Panel. Um, so it just was an excellent opportunity combined with, I think, a real clinical need to better understand this disease. Excellent. Incidentally, I mean, you were telling me before the podcast that, uh, of course, this started when you were a resident in Chicago and uh, it took around four years to put together. It's that's, just, right. Uh, that's right. It took the project uh, several years to mature, both in terms of getting uh, the number of cases we needed for adequate analytical power and, and also thoroughly analyzing the cases and, and accumulating enough follow-up data. Wonderful. So uh, let's let's move on to talk a little bit about the design. Uh, what samples you collected, and uh, what uh, ancillary studies you performed, and and I'm particularly interested in that composite score. If you can uh, detail it to us, absolutely. So, uh, as I mentioned, this was a multi-institutional study. We had cases come in from eleven institutions in six countries, including Japan, the United Kingdom, Austria, France, Canada, and multiple institutions in the United States. And in total, we collected 225 uh, disseminated malignant peritoneal mesotheliomas. 186 of those were diagnosed after 2000, and, and interestingly, we got uh, 39 cases that were diagnosed um, in the 60s through the 90s, uh, which allowed us to look kind of at the historical face of this disease as well. Um, so once we had collected these tumors, we uh, assessed the literature and selected certain relevant clinical, morphologic, and immunohistochemical parameters that we wanted to include in our prognostic model. Uh, as you alluded to, Dr. Neto, one of the most important ones, or the ones that we were most interested in, was this nuclear grading scheme, a composite nuclear grade, uh, which has been quite thoroughly validated in epithelioid mesothelioma of the pleura. It was initially proposed uh, and published a little under 10 years ago in modern pathology by the group at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And a couple of years ago, uh, investigators at the University of Chicago, together with many of the same collaborators who helped with the current study, looked at 776 pleural mesotheliomas and further validated this composite nuclear grade. Just to give a little bit of detail, it's really quite a simple system. You evaluate first the nuclear atypia in the tumor, giving it a score of one for mild, two for moderate, and three for marked atypia. And you also look at the mitotic index. Um, if you have zero to one mitoses per 10 high power field, that's one point. Two to four mitoses is two points, and five or more is, is three points. So you take these atypia and mitotic scores, add them together, uh, you get a score that's between two and six. 
and then based on that composite score, it breaks down into into three grades, uh, which we call one grades one, two, and three. I realize when I'm just saying this out loud, it may sound a little bit convoluted, but the system when applied is really quite simple with just two parameters and, and only a few possible scores. And, and these are uh, actual count of mitotic figures, right? Not, not using amino. That's, not correct. That's correct. So some of the earlier studies have shown that the mitotic counts are not surprisingly correlated with the key 67 proliferation index. But that's exactly right. You actually have to count the mitotic figures on an H&E stain uh, to apply this score. And a word about BAP1, I know you, you stained for it. In yeah, ab absolutely. So this is another uh, big change in mesothelioma pathology over the last 10 years is the appreciation that BAP1 is lost in uh, about 60 to 70 percent of peritoneal mesotheliomas. So that was uh, another particular marker we were interested in. So in all cases where unstained slides were available, we also uh, stained each tumor for, for BAP1 immunohistochemistry. Um, and ultimately, I'll just note that we built a um, prognostic model with starting with 21 different clinical pathologic variables. We started, of course, with a univariate analysis, both of overall survival and disease-free survival, and any significant variables then progressed in, into a multivariate model so that we could really drill down and see which clinical histologic and or immunophenotypic variables were the most prognostically relevant in, in peritoneal mesothelioma. Excellent. And uh, I must uh, say for the audience, it's really uh, an exemplary study, uh, both in the way uh, your team wrote it and conducted it uh, in terms of statistical analysis. So for the young investigators uh, who are trying to do uh, clinical pathologic studies like this, First, uh, resilience, 40 years, and yeah. uh, second, uh, here's a good template example to follow. Thank you very much. Excellent. So let's, uh, let's go to the best part, which is uh, what were the findings and what's the take-home message for, for us? So I really think of the findings in, in two different sort of bins. One is, as I said, we were able to compare these 39 tumors that were diagnosed between 1960 and 1995 to the tumors that were uh, diagnosed and managed more recently. And perhaps not surprisingly, we found first and foremost that the patients diagnosed after the year 2000 had better survival. Uh, they were also more likely to be women. They were more likely to have epithelioid as opposed to biphasic or sarcomatoid uh, tumors, and they were typically um, younger at diagnosis. So this just really substantiates what I think we already know from the literature that the prognosis as well as the clinical face of peritoneal mesothelioma has evolved quite substantially in the last few decades. Uh, the, the more meaty aspect of the results pertains to which of these 21 clinical pathologic parameters actually ended up being the most prognostically significant. Uh, so on univariate analyses, we really confirmed a lot of what's already in the literature, namely that patients had a better overall survival if they had epithelioid as opposed to biphasic or sarcomatoid tumors, they had better overall survival if they were treated more aggressively with cytoreductive surgery and uh, hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy. They had better overall survival if they were younger and if they had a better performance status. I don't think any of those things is a particular surprise. Uh, however, when we put these uh, variables 
together with the significance of the uh, lower composite nuclear grade, which among the epithelioid tumors was strongly correlated with uh, overall survival. When we put these variables into a multivariate model, we found that the variables that were independently associated with a better overall survival were lower composite nuclear grade, cytoreductive surgery, and tubulopapillary architecture. Uh, we also performed the same analyses, univariate and multivariate survival analyses, looking at disease-free survival. So among patients who underwent cytoreduction, which parameters could predict how long those patients would go before, before they developed a recurrence. Um, and again, when we did multivariate modeling, we found that nuclear grade, uh, as well as the lower key 67 index, but not necrosis, interestingly, were uh, associated with, uh, with a better disease-free survival. And I mentioned necrosis there because there's been studies showing that necrosis in pleural mesothelioma may have an additive prognostic value in addition to the composite nuclear grade. Um, so there was some interest in whether that would hold in the peritoneum as well, but we did not find uh, that kind of an effect for necrosis. So the bottom line, nuclear grade, that composite nuclear grade score proposed by the Memorial Group uh, about eight years ago turned out in our cohort to be the only parameter that was independently associated with better overall survival and better disease-free survival in epithelioid peritoneal mesothelioma. And it's easy enough, simple enough, uh, should be reproducible, basically how atypical or pleomorphic the nuclei are, and then the buckets of mitotic figures that you mentioned and just add them up? Absolutely. So the system, I think, was designed from the outset uh, to be reproducible. And in that initial uh, ModPath paper from the Memorial Group, in their discussion, they raised the fact that there is inevitably some subjectivity and interpretation of things like atypia. Frankly, even, of course, counting mitoses, there can be some slight variability. Um, but they cite some papers uh, demonstrating that clearly defining relatively straightforward parameters improves reproducibility. And in the 2018 study uh, that Lauren Rosen and colleagues published further validating the composite nuclear grade in pleural mesotheliomas, they collected data from 17 different institutions. So they had multiple different pathologists at different institutions um, independently scoring tumors. And they found that in the cohort as a whole, the composite nuclear grade was highly prognostically significant, but also when they compared between institutions, those relationships still held, um, which I think pretty clearly indicates that this system can be applied by different pathologists in different places um, with the same robust prognostic result. So uh, as we start signing out these cases going forward, that's probably, we should put an indication to that score, and it's uh, uh, pretty much uniform across plural and peritoneal based on this study. Absolutely. That's one of the, I think, um, nice aspects of this study, and it was something we had in mind at the outset, was to create a composite grading system that could be used in both the pleura and the peritoneum. As I mentioned at the outside, or at the outset of the discussion, we're not seeing these peritoneal mesotheliomas every day. So we felt that developing a, a, a specific system for peritoneal mesothelioma and then expecting um, broad uptake was probably unrealistic. So we think that this um, 
previously validated system, now validated in the peritoneum, provides a lot of clinical benefit and also has the benefit for pathologists that it's the same system in the pleura and the peritoneum. Wonderful. Uh, it's been uh, very informative and a pleasure, and I wish you uh, the best luck uh, in your uh, uh, next move. Uh, uh, I hear you're going to uh, University of Michigan. They're lucky to have you, and uh, we you. look forward to more studies uh, from your group. Thank you very much, Dr. Nether. It's, it's been an honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of Modern Pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.